my money where my mouth is. It is the man from Missouri. I realized this on the way up here tonight, that if I can just fix Missouri, us being right here in the middle of the country, it will radiate across America, and then they will look to us as an example, and, oh, we should be doing what Missouri is doing, which is listening to the hottest talk show anywhere else. It's going to be in Knoxville soon, Tampa, Cleveland, you know, not the best cities, probably not even the best stations in the best cities, but we are coming to all those cities very, very soon. Plus, we have uh, two confirmed new clients on the way, two sponsors, six or seven more that are on the bubble. So the thing is growing. It's making money. And it's, uh, well, it took long enough, didn't it? <laughs> I may be the world's greatest radio personality, but I am the world's not-so-hottest businessman. That's why I like to leave this stuff up to other people. For the next two hours, right here on the Richard Case and Radio Network, 573-431-1000. If you want to be on the program with questions or comments, 573-431-1000. Richard Kaysen at Yahoo.com. You can find me all over socialist media. That would include your Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. Just You'll have to go there and look me up because that domain address is entirely too long. And join the Dollar Club for just a dollar a month. Go. We are now, we've been on terrestrial airwaves now since March the 7th. So we're talking, I guess we've been here for three months already. Three months, Wow. Feels like I've been working with this kid for seven years, and he still can't get it right. No, I give Jared a hard time, but no, nah, he's I couldn't I couldn't run that board over. I don't know what this system is they have going on. It's nothing I've ever worked with, and the control board. It is the lightest control board. He had to get a piece of scratch paper from under it. I remember a few weeks ago with a finger. He lifts up this control board. I come from the days when a control board took six men. To, to load one of these on a flatbed truck, he's lifting it with a finger to get a piece of scratch paper. But how, what does that have to do with the dollar club? He shrugs his shoulder. I just take your money, Rick. That's, I, I just show up. I take the money. I run the board. I, I try to forget I have any association with this when I leave. So anyway, go back to the beginning of when <laughs> this was just a podcast, and there's probably a good reason for that. When you go to patreon.com slash Richard Kaysen. One dollar gets you in to the dollar club. So do I sound a little more upbeat? Do I sound not as angry or as mad as I have been these past few weeks? Well, that's because we are going to be taking a slight detour from our normal board of fare this week. I teased this a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to do it right. So... I wanted to make sure I had all my P's and Q's in order. I's dotted, T's crossed. I don't know why those are the letters. We always want to make sure that we have all in the same basket as the chickens and the eggs and such. But I wanted to make sure that it was done right because coming up at the top of our next hour, Bill Kennison will be on the air with us via Facebook and Young Jared has assured me this will work. We were testing it moments ago, and I was 
trying to call the girlfriend. She could hear me, but I couldn't hear her. And then, well, <laughs> hopefully with the miracle of live radio, it'll all just work out. But Bill Kennison will be on with us. If you don't know who he is, he is the brother and manager of the late Sam Kennison. You remember one of the funniest comedians of all time? Like to scream a lot? Well, that screaming came from a very honest place. And if you ever listen to this show, and if you think I get wound up, if you think I get angry, listen to his comedy sometime, and I will look like I've been sedated into a coma for weeks by comparison. Ex-Pentecostal preacher, had quite the interesting background, and we will be talking with his brother, Bill Kennison, at the top of the next hour. He has a segment on Facebook right now. It's called The Gospel According to Kennison, and that's the the backstory about the Kennison family. They were all ministers. They were all evangelists. And going to ask Bill a little bit later what we're, we're going to go, because we know most of the backstory. I want to go right up to the point when Sam says to him, hey, God has told him to leave the ministry and become a stand-up comic. That's where I want to pick up that story. And I also want to ask him about the general theme of this show, which is faith and language and humor and how those three things intersect. Most people don't think they do. As Christians, we're expected to follow or to, to watch our language. We And, you know, there are certain words that are inappropriate for certain settings. No one is arguing that. My argument is there is no such thing as a bad word. And hopefully here in the next couple of hours, without using any of them or mentioning them, just having an intelligent adult conversation about this stuff to try to... It's, it's like rocky ground, and you got to just... you got to dislodge those rocks so you can till the soil so that you can grow stuff in it. And not intentionally going to touch anyone's danger areas necessarily it's just going to be a discussion about uh, faith and language and and humor and where they intersect next week on the show u.s senate candidate mark mccloskey will be with us that will be via the miracle of smartphone recording he passed through van buren missouri this past weekend and if i was smart i would have prepared some sort of a what they call in the business a rap for the news department here, where it would have been some prepared intro text that Mike would read, and then he would cut to a clip of, this past Saturday, U.S. Senate, it would be me at the site, and then I'd have a clip, and, and that's how it was here at the Nutrition Center, Richard Case and 1240 KFMO, and then he'd go, hey, thanks for that report, and then he'd go on, with, and also use that as a way to promo this show, and you can hear him Sunday nights on KFM. I didn't do that. A smart broadcaster would have done that, but I'm also terribly busy. So I've been promoting the stand-up date for the past few weeks, well, ever since I've been here, June 25th and 26th at Porky's Comedy Club in St. Cloud, Florida. Well, on the subjects of humor and, and faith and, and whatnot, it's a weird thing. And I'm sure that Jared's already a little confused because he's heard some of the language I've used off the air. And, well, here I am talking about being a Christian. Now, wait a minute, Rick. That makes you a, a hypocrite in all of that, doesn't it? No. Just means I'm not perfect. 
just means I know my audience. And I'm going to get to these things in just a second. But listen, for weeks I've been promoting the state down in Florida, June 25th and 26th. Things have been happening in such a way with radio business and uh, family matters and these sorts of things that right now that wasn't really the best date. I don't, I'm not in the business of rescheduling dates because stand-up dates are hard enough to come by. In the post-COVID world, they're even harder to come by. And when you are me in the post-COVID world, they are almost impossible to come by. So I don't usually reschedule anything. But I asked them if, if I could. I don't hear from them for three or four days thinking, great, I've made them mad. They, here's someone that's bailing out on us. They don't want to come down and make the trip. You know, what, what you're too good for $250 and, you know, that sort of thing. Don't hear from them through email. Well, then I get a message on Facebook Messenger the other day from Eric down at Porky's Comedy Club in Florida, St. Cloud. And I assume he didn't check his email because, well, let me just, uh, here, I got Facebook here real quick. Let me just read the actual message. It took my girlfriend, who is not in the business at all, to also decipher what this meant because he says uh, he hadn't checked his email, so he's just sending me this out of the blue. Hey, man, we're going to have to cancel your date in June. The headliner just reached out to me and said he's bringing in his own feature act. He has to bring his own feet rack because he's helping with expensive driving from Texas. Sorry, but there's nothing I can do. I'll work on getting you back here sometime in the future. And I wrote back, I understand. Did you get my email? Actually, I was letting you know of a family matter I had to attend to, asking for a later date. Um, so so that was fine, but I was confused. And he, he said it once, feature act. But then I was confused on this line. He has to bring his own feet rack because he's helping with expensive driving from Texas. And I was like, expensive feet rack? What? And my girlfriend, she says, feature act. He's saying the same thing again, but he's obviously speech to texting into his phone. And it came out feet rack. Because I mean, comedians are weird. He may have a feet rack, whatever that, because it, it almost made sense. I'm thinking he's going to get to the hotel or whatever. He has this weird rack that he puts his feet on. I, I certainly didn't think he took his feet off, unless they're prosthetic. But I didn't think that he, why is your mic not on for these times that you're, well, I was going to refer to you anyway, so feel free to turn it on. Unless you're, are you going through some sort of tear gas training right now? Are you sick? You were snotting and sneezing everything a second ago. Spray that mic. We don't want the staff. Anyway, it took my, it took my girlfriend to decipher. No feature act. There's no, there's no feet rack, Rick. You're reading too much into it, as usual. But um, that's one of those. I think it's one of those God things that I have been experiencing. You know, you got to be perceptive to these things. You got to be open to them. But I think it's one of those that I I just wasn't in a position to be able to make the date and they were in a position to where they were going to have to let me know they wanted to reschedule and everything worked out. So That's that. No punchline, no 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 joke, no funny haha, just more Positive news right after this. <laughs>
Richard Kaysen here for the Jolly Cones since 1953, home of the world-famous Jolly Burger and Van Buren, Missouri. They are on Facebook. All you have to do is type Jolly Cone into the search bar, and that way you can see pictures of their menu items, or you can leave a comment just like this. Katrina said, y'all have the best taco salad I have ever ate, but everything y'all cook is the bomb. You know what else is the bomb? Two new flavors to put on whatever you want. They have blueberry syrup now, and they have peach syrup. I'm assuming you could put that in your soda. Your If you wanted to put it on ice cream, they may allow that. You'll have to talk to them at the Jolly Cone to make sure. But on their Facebook page, they're encouraging you to come try their new blueberry and peach syrups. It'll mix with anything, but they really are fond of the blueberry Mountain Dews or their peach Sprites. Plus, it's all the other favorites, you know, burgers, hamburgers. You know my usual order. Two Jolly Burgers with cheese, a bullseye burger, a foot-long hot dog mustard only, and a pizza pocket. Plus, any other thing that I uh, might have room for. Veterans get a 10% discount when you show your ID, plus restrooms, plenty of parking, and outdoor seating. Call ahead to avoid the wait, 323-4318. Take the second Van Buren exit going westbound on Highway 60. The first exit if you're eastbound. Since 1953, home of the world-famous Jolly Burger in Van Buren, it's the Jolly Cone. I've been going there since I was this big. It's Richard Kaysen, and we're on 1240 KFMO every Sunday night at 9. But what if you miss something? Maybe the entire first hour. Maybe the entire show. No worries. For one American dollar a month, you'll never miss the Richard Kaysen Radio Network again. Join the Dollar Club at patreon.com slash Richard Kaysen. Yeah, the first hour's free on Apple and Spotify. Official Richard Case and Radio Network merchandise that would include T-shirts, mugs, masks, canvas tote bags, beach towels, all kinds of stuff. RichardCaseonline.com. I'm gonna break down and order Jared and I each a shirt. So whenever I get back to making videos of this again, we'll we'll be in our uniform. But oh, by the way. Um, I know that you haven't joined the Dollar Club yet, and since it's uh, only a dollar a month, which adds up to $25 a week, at the rate that I pay you, $15 an hour times two hours. $25 a week? I, I, yes, I am going to dock you $0.25 cents per, so now you will, you will only be getting $29.75. Although I was going to get your money this week, I hit two ATMs, both of them out of service. So darn the luck. Yeah, that's that's an omen to me that I uh, shouldn't make any special trips to pay you this week. Now, uh, I'm kidding, of course. Follow me up to the gas station after we're done. But yeah, twenty nine seventy five. And I'm that much of a skin flint. I would do that. Okay, so listen, I, I'm kidding, Jared. Of course, I'm going to. I'm going to give him every cent that I. Oh, oh plus I do. I owe you from a couple of weeks ago too, from that whole other incident okay so listen we've been doing this show together here at the station for two or three months now and you have heard me in states of duress states of extreme agitation sometimes something 
completely inappropriate by today's standards will strike me as hilarious and i'll just laugh and laugh and laugh leaving it up to you the listener what in the hell is this guy's problem what, what how did he get on the air why is he and that's another story for another time how i if you you know miss the first show about why i'm here and how i got here but if you've gotten used to that tone and if you've gotten used to me being all wound up I uh, I guess you can call it an epiphany. I certainly feel like I was being led to do this particular episode. on, And I normally don't do topics per se, just what's in the news. But this, this issue of language continued to come up in, as I encountered various people. And I... Uh, up until, let's see, this is, according to this calendar, June 6th, D-Day, by the way. We want to honor the soldiers who made that hellish mission 70-plus years ago. I guess going on 80 years. But up until a few months ago, I was not what you would call a Christian man. I just wasn't. What happened, Rick? Well, how far back do you want to go? You want to go back to the want to go back to the beginning? You want to chime in on this, Jared? It's it's fine. Okay. So I am, let's see, in 1980. Oh, it was between second and third grade, so I guess that had to have been 1986 when uh young Jared's parents, I'm sure, were uh dating or or in grade school themselves. But um he wasn't around yet. I was barely around. I didn't have a real understanding of... I mean, I was a smart kid. I, I learned to read at a very young age, but there was plenty of stuff that I didn't know. Not a, an unholy home, per se. We just were not church people. Mom had grown up that way, and, and there were certainly uh, rules. There were words that weren't allowed to be said, certain things that weren't allowed to be said. And but really didn't know where any of that came from. You know, and you hear the word God, and you hear Jesus, and you hear all these things, but you're six or seven years old. You don't really comprehend what it is. So one day during the summer, some, uh, well, let's just say they were missionaries. You know the ones, the one that no one comes to answer the door. <laughs> so they, uh, they came to the door one day, and my brother, he was polite. And listened to their pitch, and was that is pitch with a P. And he was polite and said, All right, well, thanks for coming by. We'll talk to you later. Me being an inquisitive kid, hey, Jerry, what was that all about? Ah, uh, you know, those people coming by, only think 144 people going to heaven, all that stuff. And I'm like, Huh, oh, okay. So, what do we believe? Oh, what do we believe? And, and I don't blame my brother for this because he was only 16 or so. He, he barely comprehended what he was talking about. But this was my first concept, my first introduction to this whole thing about uh, the rapture and Armageddon, the end of the world, the end times, things like that. And, and very succinctly, as a 16-year-old would tell a 7-year-old, well, Rick, 
the end of the world is about nine years away, and Jesus is going to come back to kill all the sinners, and he's going to wipe out the world, and uh, everyone who isn't saved is going to be left here, and they're going to be damned to hell. I'll see you later. He stepped out to go get a shake, and I'm like, huh? Didn't really explain it. He just kind of laid it out like that, which, as it turns out, has some flaws in its delivery and its accuracy. But when you're seven and it's your older brother telling you this, why do you have any reason not to believe it? Why would he lie to you? So naturally, I, I believed it. And that was the beginning, if I'm being perfectly honest and if I'm being perfectly frank, because <laughs> this, is the, this is the place for that. Why would you listen to a talk show host that's just going to lie to you? But that was the first time after he laid that on me that I remember experiencing anxiety, things like just neurotic tendencies starting to, you know, because your brother tells you this, and so you're, you're starting to wait for it to happen all the time. It could happen anywhere, anytime. And so when you are age seven... On up to age 13, believing this, it it messes with you. It it sort of sort of uh, just kind of makes you edgy. It makes you uh, it, it it the way he put it at the age he put it to me. It didn't do me a whole lot of good, and I will elaborate on that and so much more in just one moment. <laughs> If you missed the Richard Kaysen Radio Network last week, you missed out. Because I don't like labels. I don't like divisions. I don't like African-American, Italian-American, German. I like American. Everything is about dividing or identity politics. It's all about, uh, well, how many minority voters do you have? Well, we want to appeal to this group. No, you just want to appeal to as many people as you can appeal to. It's the Richard Kaysen Radio Network, Sunday nights at 9 on the Parkland's Freedom Leader, AM 1240 KFMO. com is the only online home for me. Links to listen live on KFMO. See where I'll be doing my next stand-up comedy show. Richard Kaysen merchandise, shirts, mugs, masks, yoga pants, towels, tote bags, and mobile device covers. If the Richard Kaysen Radio Network logo can be put onto something, chances are I got one for you at richardkaysenonline.com. It's Richard Kaysen, and we're on 1240 KFMO every Sunday night at 9. But what if you miss something? Maybe the entire first hour. Maybe the entire show. No worries. For one American dollar a month, you'll never miss the Richard Kaysen Radio Network again. Join the Dollar Club at patreon.com slash Richard Kaysen. Yeah, the first hour's free on Apple and Spotify. If there was a Richard Kaysen Radio Network t-shirt, would you wear it? What about Richard Kaysen yoga pants? I even have a Richard Kaysen face mask. I'll sell anything. Doesn't mean I'm going to wear it. Well, maybe the yoga pants. Listen to the show drinking out of a Richard Kaysen Radio Network mug or catch some rays lying on that Richard Kaysen beach towel. And it's all at richardkaysenonline.com. 
can already feel my deodorant wearing off. You did turn on the air, correct? You can turn on your microphone. It's okay. This is one of those loose shows. Unless you've been given orders from higher up to just not talk. Okay. <laughs> his mic's on. He's still shaking his head now. Gonna have to work with this one. 573-431-1000-573-431-1000 if you want to be on the program. So I was telling you my personal story during the last segment. So my brother freaks me out with the whole rapture concept. I'm expecting that over my shoulder for the next seven, eight years from, say, age seven to about 13. And so this is around the time, 91, this is around the time of the Gulf War, and my mom took that as some sort of a sign that it was time for her to get her personal business in order, and of course that meant time for me to get my personal business in order as well. And so that was uh, trips to, well, I say trips. Uh, what's the proper word? You don't visit church. Attendance. I guess uh, more attendance at at church every week, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, except at the time, it just wasn't soaking in, I wasn't interested, didn't want to hear it, didn't want some guy pounding his fist on a table, yelling at me every single week, saying what I'm doing is wrong, does that sound familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Jared is shaking his head yes (laughs) Uh, I kind of resented that and just other stuff and so I I guess just out of rebelliousness I I mean also I didn't really know any better so well I'm an atheist now don't believe any of it well you go through that for a few years, and then you get into radio like I did, and you're an adult for a few years, and you go through life, and you're like, okay, well, uh, and I've had conversations with comedian friends of mine, some very prominent comedians that you might find on dry bar comedy that you wouldn't think would have views like that, but I've had some of those uh, folks tell me that, Ah, uh, so you're an a- you're an agnostic now. So that means you can't decide which one you're you, you're you know hedging your bets. And it's like no, no. It was an acknowledgement of some sort of higher power. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it because I'm a human. My understanding of if you can imagine it, yes, even my understanding on some things is fairly limited. And so I went from full blown atheist to the agnostic route, acknowledging that there was something in control of everything, but that I didn't know what it was. And I, about two years ago, had it in my mind that my business with the radio business wasn't done yet, and decided I was going to launch yet another podcast that no one is going to buy, no one is going to download, which is proving to be the case. And, (laughs) um, but I did it anyway. And I did it at a weird time when 
these George Floyd lies come out and the BLM lies come out and things like Mark McCloskey happens. And it was just sort of, if, if you're looking at it strictly as a news guy, it was, it was a hot year for news. Good time to decide to get back on the radio and do a topical talk show. And that's what I was doing for the past year, or, and still am. And I began to develop a plan to go back on the air. I even had a... And Jared meets me here in the parking lot. I usually show up first. I usually show up first. And <laughs> I'm the host. I'm supposed to show up first. But No, I, I like to get... But I really enjoy... This is my routine. I, and I had this in my mind. I said, how cool would it be? I do my two hours on a Sunday night. I show up a little early so I can hit White Castle. I hang out in the parking lot in the nice weather as as traffic is driving by, feeding my face full of French fries, swallowing the occasional salt packet that I forgot or didn't even see was in the handful. I'm eating a White Castle burger. I'm, I'm waving it at traffic as it goes by. I had this thought in my head before I ever came here two-plus years ago. How cool would it be to just have a couple of hours once a week at a place where you could hang out in the parking lot and get your stuff together and, you know, get and look over your paperwork and a very unassuming place that wasn't so corporate and and here it is. It's weird how things work out. And before I officially started broadcasting from here back in March, I was on the phone trying to solicit ads for the show. And things began to start to happen. Get a few affirmative responses. And when you're up here in the parkland area trying to do the same thing and you're going up and down Highway 67... And then you see a billboard that I didn't think much of it when I first saw it, but it's so big and prominent that you can't overlook it. It says, Jesus loves you. Well, it's a nice billboard. I'd keep going down 67, didn't think much of it. But for whatever reason, my travels at that time kept bringing me back up here periodically to try to uh, close deals. And I kept going down that stretch of 67, not really with any intention of doing so. Kept passing that bill. And we all know the one. It, it, it says in real big uh, letters, uh, Jesus loves you, down at the bottom, Patsy's Furniture. There's a, you know, I don't mind. I know they advertise here at the station. And that's a good billboard. And it's the type of thing that, well, I, I can't discount that. I've been seeing that a lot lately. I, I wonder what that means. I wonder what the significance of that is. As I'm trying to get my little radio program here on the air, that, that's, that's unusual. Well, then you uh, call up someone, long story short, who has their own story about how their business worked out, and then I tell them my story about how my business is working out. And he says, well, would you care if I prayed with you? And I was like, sure, this is over the phone. I'm like, yeah. And he says his prayer, and he gets done. 
And I guess it was at 1.48 that afternoon. It was a Thursday back in January. Okay, Jesus, you got me. I mean, it was that simple. It, it was it was no longer just coincidences. It was, you know, I I had to put my intelligent, common sense, logical brain to the side, and I had to indulge my faith side a little bit and be open enough to the fact that when you were a kid, you couldn't make the distinction between religion and faith and things like that. And that was what I had realized as I started getting to know Christ again and opening the Bible to read a couple of chapters every morning to try to start my day off better and a little more positive, is that religion is religion, filled with its customs and its rituals and its habits and its financial business and all of that. And I realized that that is totally different from faith. When you're a teenager, you're too young to make that distinction, but I'm old enough to make that distinction now, and I realized that my problem was not with the faith so much. It was the more organized political aspects of it that uh, didn't sit well with me. More whenever I get back. So that's kind of the story about how I returned to the faith after an extended absence. I realized that my problem was with institutions and the and the and the things that go with it that when it's all said and done has I won't say it doesn't have anything to do with Christianity, but it certainly is not as significant as Jesus's message. And the the first first few days of it it was, you know, I I I felt the change everyone else feels, but I you know, so many of my beliefs that I already had pre-saved as I read the scripture every morning um, I find that, oh, that is in line with how I think. I wasn't necessarily influenced by it, but um, I guess there's a reason why I thought that way on certain things, and then I see my own beliefs reflected in black and white or in the red letter edition, red, right to me. Uh, hey, turn that mic on for a second. I, I got a weird question for you. Well, it's not a weird question. I'm just going to put you on the spot. Okay? You ready for this? God ever talk to you, Jared? Not that I know of. Not that you know of? Never paid attention? Never? No. Well, I don't, I don't think he spoke to me, uh, at least by name, until recently. I asked my mom this. I said, God ever speak to you? Uh, she said, yeah, one time when I was in my... You know, late 40s. 
she was washing dishes one night and uh, uh, she says God called her by name Francine and and that's that's how I knew that at least that's how I know I believe God was speaking to me a few days after I was saved because I got it was a very clear but concise message and it was this and he, and he called me Rick not Richard but he says uh, hey Rick their hearts are in the right place. Take it easy on them. Talking about other Christians. Because that was one of the reasons I had walked away from it, because of all these hypocritical people who were preaching one thing, telling me how to live my life, and then completely turning around and doing the opposite. Well, isn't that what we all do, though? Whether it's our language or whether it is... You know, uh, hey, we're cutting through a parking lot, which we're not supposed to do to save time. You know, we take more shortcuts than we think. And we are, <laughs> we're not even close to perfect. And I'm just, you know, put, put myself there at the top of the list. But it's why I don't, I mean, the Bible specifies two or three specific things that we are not supposed to say. But we're raised as as Christians, or even semi-Christians, even if uh, people don't attend church, many people are raised in homes where certain words are inappropriate. Bad words, curse words, swear words. Christians don't say words like that. I, I understand the sentiment. I know. I get it. I'm not, I'm not discounting it. I'm not... Uh, I just think the argument is a little more nuanced than that, because people have said, well, I can show you chapter and verse where it says, don't swear, don't curse. And it's like, okay, what's a curse word? Who decides what a curse word is? Curses, literal Curses that we are not supposed to say to each other include, damn it, go to hell, things like that. That's what the, I mean, those are swears and curses that biblically we are not supposed to say to each other. We're just not supposed to. These words come out of our mouth all the time. Um, it's because we're not perfect. It's because we are humans. It's because we are striving to be better. For instance, when I was in private recently driving and spilled a soda all over my lap, there's a phrase I that might have flew out of my mouth. starts with a, a G. There's a D there in between. And there was a time when it would have flew out of my mouth. I got the gee, I got that much out of my mouth, and I and I I literally stopped myself. I've tried really hard not to say that, and we know what I'm talking about. There was no one around me. There was there was no one to try to impress. There was just God's standard to try to live up to in that moment, and in that moment I was able to. The other day. Hit my thumb with a hammer, that's a different matter. But the point is, unlike 
how I was told when I was a kid that if you say that, you're going straight to hell, you're irredeemable, you can never come back. In reality, it happens. And if you are, but if you are truly sorry, if you if if it comes out of your mouth and you know it shouldn't have, and if you're truly sorry and you ask for forgiveness, it, it's one of those things where I think God's up there going, uh, "We've been over this. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right." But you have to be sincere. You have to be honest. I'm not going to get to some of these clips this hour, but but this is more important. We can get to it later in the hour. I got some uh, George Carlin and Tim Hawkins I want to play for you here in just a minute, but it would appear as though it is break time already, so I will try to put a bow on what exactly I'm getting at right after these messages from all of these people right here. <laughs> Five seven three four three one one thousand. If you want to get in on whatever this discussion is, I'm really just kind of spent the last hour giving you my own personal story about how, despite what you've heard, I've turned Christian after all these years. But you know, things like language. Uh, th- don't say this. Uh, why? You know, when you post that online and. Uh, it has this word in it. It's like, I know, I know, but some words don't articulate the way someone feels as much as another. You know, you've heard this show plenty. Uh, other than what I am not allowed to say just outright on the radio, I have not really been a Karn Sarnet kind of guy. Uh, Karn Sarnet don't cut it. Uh, at least not in the real world. Got to clean it up for this, but out there, amongst all you maniacs, nah, going nose to nose, Karn Sarnet, sorry, it doesn't articulate the way I feel. Coming up, Bill Kennison, manager and brother of the late Sam Kennison, and so much more when we return with the second hour of the Richard Kaysen Radio Network. Two of the Richard Kaysen Radio Network. You can get a hold of me right now. Well, I'm going to be talking to a guest here shortly, but maybe if you got a question for him, I think we can put it on the air. 
You haven't had a question for me in three months, so I'm not anticipating one. But in the event that you have a question for Bill Kennison, 573-431-1000, Taking a break from our usual thing, the politics, the current events, talking about BLM and how terrible of a situation we have in Washington right now. Wanted to talk about something with more substance. I, I gave you my story last hour about how I came back to to find faith in Jesus and all that. Um, and I am a changed man in many, many ways. But, you know, I was a comedian first. And words are all that we have, not just as comedians, but as people. So I bristle. I mean, I know that there are certain words that are inappropriate in, in many places. You got to read the room. You got to know where you're at. You know, you don't do stand-up comedy at a cancer benefit and do 25 minutes on cancer. I understand that. But I honestly think other than these specific things that it says in the Bible we're not supposed to say, I do not think God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit are are hung up on words so much. But it says, don't curse. It says, don't swear. I know it says that, but what is a curse? What is a swear? This is something that I've been talking with a lot of people about recently. I genuinely believe this is one of those things that it is totally determined on, on how you were raised. Because in my home... You had the seven big things that you weren't supposed to say, plus the stuff that the Bible says that you weren't supposed to say. That means that hell is replaced with heck, damn is replaced with darn, that sort of thing. Now, in some homes, darn and heck are just as heavy. Because, well, it, it means the same thing because that's what your heart's telling you. So, and Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian who actually he is a frequent guest on another show that's uh, played here on this radio station a lot. And I know that a few of the staff members here at the station are Tim Hawkins fans. So maybe that will win me a little bit of goodwill here a little bit later. But um, I mean, I get it. I understand what we're taught. I understand that there are certain things that you shouldn't say in certain places, but I just do not believe just in the wholesale concept of bad words. It's the meaning behind the words. You know, why, why is crap preferable to another word that begins with the letter S, you know? Who decide, because in some homes, in some homes, that one is acceptable. Even in, in what I would call Christian homes growing up, they would allow that. It would come out of the kid's mouth, and I, oh, and it would, it would startle me. Oh, you said a swear? And the parents would be, eh, it's okay. It's really in how you're raised, I believe. And I'm going to, I will defer to Bill Kennison on some of these matters. If, if I am wrong, then I guess I have some, some rethinking to do. But I think that Bill Kennison is probably the only person who could help uh, get us to the uh, bottom of some of these questions. Are we uh, all ready over there? I'm going to attempt a Facebook phone call. Audio. I am hitting the button now. Go ahead and 
pot us up there. Let, let's hear all the sound effects and uh, get Bill Kennison here on the Richard Kaysen Radio Network. It's ringing. Mr. Kennison. Yes, sir. Yes, this is Richard Kaysen. How are you this evening? I am good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Are you in the central time zone, just out of curiosity? Yes, I am. Okay, well, I didn't want to keep you up too late. Uh, let me just briefly intro you here. We are live on the air here on 1240 KFMO in Park Hills, Missouri. But for our listeners out there, uh, this and I am actually a little nervous now that uh, he's on the line here. But this is one of the <laughs> well, just great. Relax. It's one of the great honors of my life to get to speak to uh, the uh, manager and the brother of the late Sam Kennison, and you can catch him on Facebook. He does a segment that runs about 25 to 30 minutes every, well, most Sundays. It's called The Gospel According to Kennison. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a huge thrill. Mr. Bill Kennison, thank you for being on the Richard Kaysen Radio Network. Well, thank you, Richard. And I'm like President Biden. I, I've got to have my milk, and I've got to go to bed. <laughs> so um, I've uh, the, the documentaries about Sam are out there, and uh, I didn't even realize that the date of his uh, unfortunate passing was uh, a month or a few weeks back, and I, I had seen one of your Facebook posts uh, commemorating that. Um, and the story with the Kennison family, you, your brothers, your, your parents, you were all ministers and evangelists. And um, if we could pick up the story real quick, um, when, as I understand it, Sam as as he believed god was telling him that it was you know it's time to try stand-up comedy now when he first decided that he was going to leave the ministry what were your thoughts well first he didn't have much uh choice he had uh caught his wife in an affair and they had decided to get a divorce and in pentecostal circles that's like the unpardonable sin mm-hmm uh, they used to say, if you uh, can't take care of your own marriage, you're not fit to take care of the house of God. And so uh, so he was kind of forced out. And then uh, he came up. I was pastoring a large church in Rockford, Illinois. And he came up and uh, about as devastated and as low as I could, I guess I've ever seen him. And uh, told me what happened. And so I told him, I said, Sam. I want you to forget that your brothers are preachers. Forget your dad was a preacher. Forget your friends are preachers. Look down in your heart and find out what you've always really wanted to do. Because I never felt like uh, the ministry was what he really wanted to do. And I thought he would take some time. He took about three seconds and said, I always want to be a stand-up comedian. And so I said, well, then from this set a date and after that date, never preach again. Because if you do, you'll keep going back to it. And uh, so he set a date, and uh, that was the last time he preached. And it just so happened that, uh, uh, which is kind of funny now, down in Houston, there was in a paper, he was dating a, a young lady there, and she was reading the paper, and they had a, a, I don't know, an ad or something that this little bar held about 60 people would teach you how to be a stand-up comedian in a week. And so... Uh, he headed down there and started getting into comedy and was a natural, and it just progressed until he, he hit. 
so he he leaves the ministry. He becomes a stand-up comic. What was the time frame when you started managing? Did you leave the ministry to become his manager? Did you always have one foot in it while you managed him? Or I uh, I would go out. He was in Houston for two years. Both years he won the Texas Comedian uh, or the Texas Comedian of the Year award, which when you get to Hollywood that means nothing. Mm-hmm. And they went out with actually uh, six other comics that followed that went with him. He was kind of their leader, Bill Hicks, uh, Yakov Smirnoff, Carla Bow, uh, other people that you probably wouldn't recognize their names. Jimmy Pineapple? Uh, no, I don't think Jimmy was with them. Oh, okay. Well, if we're going for obscure names. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I didn't mean that disrespectfully either. I just you No, know. no, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> But uh, they went out, and we thought, uh, you know, we thought, Sam, and I thought Sam would hit. I went with him, and I thought he'd hit as soon as he got out there. And uh, he got up and showcased, and Bill Hicks uh, actually had a uh, a pilot the first week he was there. And uh, and so they, uh, he gets out there, he showcased for, for Mitzi. He came over and to her booth after he showcased and she said you're not funny for our listeners uh, mitzi is the owner of the comedy store yeah i'm sorry yeah mitzi shore mm-hmm. and so she said you're not funny but i'll tell you what i'll do i'll let you be a doorman <laughs> and you can see how the pros do it right and so uh he was a doorman for five years and uh then thanks to rodney dangerfield he uh he's the one that gave him his break well, I would come out whenever there's supposed to be a deal or whatever and try to negotiate with him, but there was never really anything serious. And then uh, I finally, I was taking a shower one Sunday morning, getting ready to go to a packed out church. And uh, when I was in the shower, it was just like God put in my heart, it's time for you to do something else. Mm-hmm. I wasn't disillusioned. I hadn't lost my faith or anything else. And uh, so I thought, on the way to church, I, I told my wife and I, when I was thinking about it, I man, she didn't go for this at all. This is her hometown. We got a great church, have a good life. And so I was a little surprised when I told her, uh, today's going to be my last service as a pastor. We'll probably be here for a few weeks, but uh, this is my last service as pastor. And instead of, uh, you know, her going like I expected, no, 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 we're not, we're not leaving anywhere. Uh, she, all she said was, what are we going to do? And I said, well, Sam's been wanting us to manage him, and we've got enough money to go out there and live for a couple of years and take a shot at it. And so when I got out there, uh, not because of my managerial ability, uh, he hit about six weeks after I got there, and we were in the big time. So, and... Part of the show this week, uh, I don't know if you were listening before we uh, had you on, but we're, you know, I I was given my own personal testimony last hour about how up until a few months ago, I myself was not a Christian man. I, uh, um, if, if you want me to send you that whole first hour, I'll be happy oh, to I'd send it to you that, yeah. so I don't have yeah, to explain it. it to you again. But um, yeah, up until recently, I was not a Christian man, but I... I was uh, pulled toward Jesus a few months ago, and uh, it it was a pretty powerful pull. Um, but I find that 
you know, I'm a comedian. I'm not a Christian comedian. I'm a comedian that happens to be a Christian. Uh, my material, um, you know, I'm not like, say, a Tim Hawkins where it's not rooted in in the faith or things about the faith. Um, I, I've got my hour that I'm wanting to retire here in the next uh, couple of years, finally put that on a DVD or a beta, whatever the kids are watching these days, finally retire that so I can move on to my, you know, cleaner uh, hour that, you know, doesn't have as much language as as people are um, opposed to. But um, rock and roll lifestyle aside, in your opinion, was Sam's comedy blasphemous? No. No. Uh, first, Sam considered himself a believer uh, even at death. Mm-hmm. Uh, to him, his comedy was was his act. Uh, he had a, uh, I mean, the lifestyle that that was portrayed, that was true. Mm-hmm. And that was because he had an addictive personality. Right. And uh, But I didn't feel like, uh, you know, that his material, uh, I actually I actually thought it was funny. I mean, if you really stop and look at it, he's not making fun of Jesus or of God. No. He really uh, is bitter against religion. Right. That's what he really didn't like. The, but the as far as, rituals and the customs that go with yeah. it. That... Yeah, because, you know, I mean, they had turned... Sam didn't leave the ministry. The ministry left Sam. Right. And, I mean, and me, uh, just managing him, I lost every preacher friend that I had, or I thought I had. Every single one of them. And uh, and yet I knew their lifestyles. I mean, these were my friends, I thought. Mm-hmm. But just managing Sam uh, was, and I think, you know, I think comedians and preachers are a lot alike. First, they're the most insecure, jealous people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I think you, the post that you read, I even put in there that, uh, you know, when they're all struggling, they love each other. But then when one of them make it, then they then they know all the reasons why that they shouldn't have made it, and it should have been them. Mm-hmm. Uh, preachers are the same way. If you've, been a, if you've been a minister, and you get out of the ministry and you're successful, uh, you sold out to the devil. You know, I mean, Sam and I had all kinds of stories put out to us that, about us that we were Satanists. Uh, we even had one that said that we, a uh, Rolling Stone article that said we sacrifice a cat before every show. Oh, like we had time to go out and find a cat. And uh, and so uh, so his bitterness was really against religion. And if you and if you look at that, if you watch it and listen to him, that's that's who was, you know, the Jim Bakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you remember him doing routines about him, you know, when did, where in the Bible did it say build a, a water park? Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, and Pat Robertson, you know, God told him he's going to, uh, uh, you know, to run for president. And Sam goes, yeah, yeah, well, I wonder if God told me I'm going to make an ass out of you. And, and things like that. It was really against organized religion. It wasn't against uh, Jesus or God. He considered himself, and if you look at some of the, uh, interviews he did on Larry King or even Johnny Carson, uh, and they would ask him about it. He said, "Hey, I, I, I'm a believer." He said, "I don't think the believers will accept me right now, mm-hmm. but I'm a believer." 
And what some a lot of people didn't know is that he got killed in April, and he was planning on going back in the ministry in May. That was and, that. Well, well, go ahead. I was I was no. That's I was just making a statement. Well, that was the last question I had on my list. But since you brought it up, that was something that I had I had read or heard somewhere that uh, after all these years that he I don't was his motivation the way he left wanting to come back or was he was did he just feel like that he had gotten it out of his system and was going to return to it full time and and let me let me tell my producer real quick that uh, we're going to go ahead and go along in the se- he asked if we're going to do one big segment and I'm I'm enjoying oh, okay. the conversation so yeah <laughs> we are going to do one big segment but uh all right so was he going to keep one foot in comedy one foot in the ministry or go back to it full full tilt well our our plan actually was that Sam, you would use stand up to uh, get into movies and television, mm-hmm. and we had got to that point uh, when he got married. On his honeymoon, I signed a three movie deal with New Line Cinema. Uh, I also signed his own uh, television program, his own sitcom on Fox TV that was called. Uh, uh, Charlie Family Hoover Entertainment Hour with Sam Kennison. No, oh, okay. that was that was actually we actually did Charlie Hoover so we could get a deal. Gotcha. Because the reputation was is that Sam couldn't show up for work, <laughs> and I wanted a vehicle that because a lot of times you only get one shot. Yeah. And so I wanted a vehicle that uh, that would say that Sam was too good for the show. And along came Charlie Hoover. He played this little twelve-inch uh, man that he was the alter ego of Tim Matheson. The uh, big one it was a replacement but it also tanked they did 10 shows and it was exactly what we wanted all the reviews was is that sam was too good for the show mm-hmm. the show was crap but sam was great and uh, so i mean we had just got to where we wanted in this business and uh, the plan was sam would do movies do television uh that just wrapped up even on the, the reason we were going to laughlin that was our last casino town and I was signing a three-year contract there. And uh, we already had Vegas wrapped up. We had Atlantic City wrapped up. We had Tahoe wrapped up. I mean, we had – and so the deal was he would play those, do movies and, and uh, TV, and, and do maybe a 12-city tour during the summer. And so we had just got everything that we had planned on in place, and, and then he uh, was killed. Mm. But his, uh, but the original question, I didn't mean to get carried away no, there. No, no, it's fine. The original question was uh, about Sam going back in the ministry. Now, Sam first, he affected more people in a, on a personal level than he ever did in the ministry. Sam was not a successful preacher, mm-hmm. and uh, but he, you know, he uh, he affected and and. Uh, converted more people backstage after a show or hanging around the back of the comedy store much more than he ever did in the ministry and uh, we were we were we, we affected him so much i i uh i did the eulogy for robin williams uh fred willard a very very dear friend i just did his eulogy uh, uh about a year ago when he died and, I mean, these are people that Sam had affected. And so uh, he felt like uh, he had took me out of the ministry. If he had any guilt, it was that he had took me out of the ministry. 
because I was ex- extremely successful. And I told him over and over, brother, you didn't take me out of the ministry. I felt it was time to leave. I had done it for 17 years. And, uh, but that was the reason, you know, he's just, his compelling that he should be ministering. And that was what he was going to do. So after all this time and, you know, the lifestyle, and and I've, I've heard rumors about this, but you can confirm this. He was clean and sober by the time of the accident. He Had, had he gotten all that? That was over in, he had, in the past. He had, been, he had been clean for the last year and a half. And so he was ready to, to try to do it a, a better, straighter, cleaner way in, in, in tragedy strikes. Well, his, yeah, and, it, you know, his weakness in the ministry, and you'll be shocked by this, was his stage presence. <laughs> he really didn't have stage presence in the ministry. He really felt like preaching was just giving out information. Yeah. And yet when you watch him in comedy, I mean, that was his strength. And I think he felt that, uh, you know, the years that he had put into comedy, and if he went back to the ministry, that he would have that stage presence and be able to uh, touch a lot more people than he did the first time. One Very of, good questions, by the way. I'm not usually asked these questions. Well, I, I try to be better than the average host or or interviewer, and and plus these are things that, you know, it, it's always been in the back of my mind. If I had a chance to ask, you know, what would I ask? And so I wanted to put some some real uh, thought into this. Um, so on on the matter of of faith and and religion and such. So the night of the accident on the way to Laughlin, we've. I've seen it in documentaries, but for our audience who hasn't heard it, um, the accident occurs. You, you you saw what was happening in the car behind, correct? And and yes. once it happened, you rushed over to Sam, and it, it's chilling every time I hear it, every time I see it. But can you tell the audience when you rushed to Sam? Can you pick the story sure. up? We had uh, we had just filled up. Uh, he was he was supposed to fly into Vegas. Uh, had a jet that was uh, chartered for him, and uh, he decided when he got back from uh, Hawaii, took a red eye, that he wanted to drive. So we we met at Barstow, and uh, and we drove. I had rented a van with the opening act and uh, security because I wanted to come home on Sunday. I didn't want to after the show was over. I didn't want to wait till Monday to come back home. And uh, so, make a long story short, we pulled off to get him some gas. And uh, very strangely, uh, we're only 25 miles from Laughlin, and all of a sudden, he tells me he wants all the, everything taken out of his car. And so I'm going, dude, we're only 25 miles away. And he goes, no, I want, I want to put everything in the van. So I told the security guy in the opening act, I said, you know, put his stuff in the van. And then he had a dog that he didn't go anywhere without named Russo. And he said, after we did that, then he uh, uh, told me to tell him to put Russo in the van. So we did. And uh, then he always followed me because usually he didn't know exactly how to get there. Well, this time he pulled out in front of me. And we got on River Road. We went 3.2 miles. And uh, we could see a truck. It was dusk. And we could see a truck passing a lot of the cars. And he was staying over in our lane, and, and I knew Sam couldn't hear me, but I'm vocalizing it anyhow. And I'm going, Sam, watch out for this guy. Slow down. Slow down. Watch out for this guy. 
And so uh, Sam slows down to about 15 miles an hour. And then the guy just barely gets back in line. But what we didn't see was there was another pickup that was behind him that they were racing to Arizona. Whoever got there first didn't have to buy drinks. And, uh, and so we had just a moment of relief. I'm sure he did too. And then all of a sudden, boom, here's this other truck and they hit head on. Uh, I pulled the van up as close as I could to the, uh, driver's side of the car and the opening act or the uh, security guy tried to open the door and wasn't able to get it open. I guess just the adrenaline. Cause I'm not a big guy. Right. Uh, I jerked the door open. He was sitting in the, still in the driver's seat. The uh, steering wheel was non-existent. Uh, he had hit his head on the, on the uh, windshield, but it only really had about four scratches, like if someone would have took their fingernails. And he had leaned over the armrest, and uh, when I opened it up, he told me, why? Why now, brother? Why? And so I told him, I said, Sam, just lay still because I didn't know what his injuries were. None of us knew he was dying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know what his injuries were. And I was like, Sam, just stay still. We got help on the way. Well, the truth of the matter is we were in a dead area and I grabbed his phone and my phone and I'm trying to get 911 and get some help out there. And he started scooting out of the car, out of his seat, uh, to get out of the car and he weighed 280 pounds mm -hmm. so we couldn't keep him in the car and so a couple of the bystanders uh helped me lay him there on the on the pavement next to the car because i didn't want to move him any more than we had to in case he had a neck injury or a spinal injury or something and uh went around to the other side where his wife was and and uh she was unconscious and uh, but she was she was breathing and then the kid couldn't get out of his truck. He had a passenger. They couldn't get out of his truck, and there was gas everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I jerked that door open, and uh, he got out. The first thing he said is, uh, you know, look what he did to my effing truck. jeez. Oh, and so uh, I grabbed him, even though I'm a little guy. He was a football player. I grabbed him and uh, took him over, and I said, I want you to look at this guy because you're probably going to be working for him the rest of your life. And then set your ass over on the side of the road here. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and he did. And so now I went back to, uh, to Sam and, uh, I still got the, the phones and, uh, I noticed this dog and now ordinarily this wasn't a trained dog. Ordinarily this dog is gone. If the doors are open, you're going to be chasing him. He's a, he was a poodle mix. And I noticed he's sitting He's standing on the seat, and he's got his paws on the on the dash. He's looking out the window, out the windshield, and you know how you say something and you don't think. You just say it. Right. All of a sudden, what came out of me was, is, uh, has he quit breathing? And so uh, they checked, and they said, yes, yes. And they everyone started freaking out, so I'm like, all right, everybody calm down. Who else, who else knows CPR around here? Well, this kid volunteers, I guess, or worked at a hospital. So he said, I do. So I said, well, get over here. I said, you do compressions, and I will uh, do mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. But uh, he was gone. Before this happened, when he was laying on the highway and no one was holding him, I've heard those reports, he didn't get, 
He didn't walk around or anything like that. Nothing like that happened. Uh, the reason he was laying on the pavement is because I told you that I was afraid he might have injuries and I didn't want to be paralyzed or something. Right. And uh, and I heard him I heard him start talking and he said, uh, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And but it wasn't didn't seem like it was fear. It seemed like he was negotiating with somebody. You know, that was telling him, you know, it's time for you to go. And he's like, I don't want to go. And uh, his eyes weren't rolled back. He wasn't glazed over. Uh, but he was looking at someone or something. And uh, then he just went, okay, okay, okay. And uh, he was gone. He was gone. His system shut down. I wasn't even able to get the phlegm out of his mouth uh, to give him mouth to mouth and the police were right there they were the first ones and they stuck a thing down his his throat and uh and then the paramedics got there right behind him and when the paramedics was working on him uh i got down on the other side of him on my knee and i asked the paramedic i said are we doing any good and he uh didn't say anything he didn't shake his head or anything he just looked at me and I knew with the look that uh, Sam was gone. And that that's literally what happened out there, regardless of what uh, reports are. That's, that's what happened. Now, in that moment where you say it sounded like Sam was negotiating and he finally, with his response of, okay, okay, do you have any doubt at that moment that God was talking to Sam or Sam to God? Uh, no. No, I had no doubt at all. And I don't know if it was God or it was someone there to, you know, usher him into the next that level angel. of existence. Uh, yeah. An angel or a loved one. I, I have no idea. I just know that Sam wasn't afraid of whoever he was looking at. Yeah. And, uh, and it was almost like he had to agree. And, uh, and he did, you know, he, after saying that three times, uh, he did. He just finally went, okay, okay, okay. Jeez. And that's the very moment that we realized uh, we're in trouble, you know, that he was dying. But up to that point, there was no one, no one that thought that, including me. We just, I knew he was hurt. But I definitely didn't think because first, you know, his injuries were all internal. He had a broken neck, a fractured skull, a torn heart, oh a torn uh small bowel which is your stomach yeah. and uh, the coroner told me that any one of the four of those would have been fatal but on the outward all he had was these little scratches on his head and uh, that that was it That's, and i lost my brother with all those injuries i was just sitting here trying to calculate the impact must have been incredible to do all that internal damage and not have so much exterior Word. Well, when I asked the the coroner, because he, he, I mean, he literally scooted his way out of this wrecked car, and I was going, if he had all of that, how how could he even move? And he said he had to be a very very strong person. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's it. I know you know down through the years, and the reason that I posted that post that you had was I was just. I was just tired for 29 years. You know, I've heard 
you know, people that profess to be his friend and everything just, right. you know, just blast him and stuff. And, and I, I just, I just had had enough. I went, you know what, I'm done with this. I, I, you know, wouldn't call him on it or anything else because it wasn't that important to me. But I thought, man, after 29 years, give him, you know, let him rest in peace for God's sakes. Yeah. But he had a lot of people that depended on him. You know, that he was their, you know, he was their paycheck. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, your brother was big business for a good run. Yeah, he made $6 million a year, and he died a million dollars in debt. Man alive. Well, I only got a couple more questions real quick. All right. Um, on, on the subject of, uh, I mean, we've talked about... Um, you know Sam's motivation to leave the ministry and and uh, some of the attitude behind his material, but language in general. Um, the you know there's there's words that the Bible clearly says that we're not supposed to say, um, but then it becomes I genuinely believe an issue of uh, uh, how you were raised, family to family, house to house. I was telling my producer here that some Christian homes the uh, SH word was perfectly acceptable in other, in other <laughs> homes it was completely verboten so in as as a minister and as a manager of one of the top stand-up comics of any generation I, I other than the obvious things we're not supposed to say are is there such thing as bad words mr. Kennison uh, usually I get asked uh, did it did it offend me, the language that he uh, used? And when I first, first time I seen him, he'd been doing comedy down in Houston. Now, we were raised like what you just said on the SH word, mm -hmm. except we couldn't say shoot. Oh, yeah. Well, like I mean, George we got, Carlin said, shoot is SH with two O's. <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't say uh, crap. Uh-huh. Darn. I mean, uh, if they did, we got slapped in the mouth. We yeah. were preacher, Pentecostal preachers get very strict. Oh, I know. <laughs> so the first time that um, I'm hearing Sam, and uh, and back then, when he first started, he was actually a prop comedian. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know it. <laughs> but he uh, he would use he would use some of that language. And uh, I remember the first night after I seen him, and I called my wife because we had been supporting him. And to be honest with you, I thought we'd be supporting him the rest of our life because he had never been successful at anything. But all of a sudden, when he did comedy, that was his niche. And I remember I called my wife and she said, well, how is he? And I go, I'm going to tell you. Of course, Rodney Dangerfield had just told me this. He had just seen him. And uh, but I said, Sam, I'm not a comedy expert. I think one of these days he's going to be one of the biggest in the business. And the first time Rodney seen him, which happened to be that night, uh, he walked in with his entourage, and I told the bartender, so whatever they order, I'll pay for it. And so when he went and told Rodney, he had me come over to the table and sit with him. And Sam happened to be up, but he knew, he, he did not know there was any connection between us. And uh, I remember about halfway through it, I remember Rodney turned around and said, hey, this kid's a genius. <laughs> He's going to be big one day. I don't know how long it's going to take him. He's not too disciplined, but uh, he's a genius. And uh, so I told my wife that. I said, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know how long it's going to take. Well, it took seven years. And uh, and it, 
you know, he made it. But he asked me afterwards, so what, that night, he said, what'd you think? And so I was like, Sam, you don't need to use that language <laughs> to make people laugh. And and he, he told me this many times after that, and that was, brother, we're not in church now. <laughs> Other words, I can do whatever I want, yeah. I want to do. We're not in church. Well, and uh, It's like I told my producer, you know, out here in the real world, whenever I get upset about something, uh, you know, if I'm being honest, Karn Sarnet just doesn't explain how you feel sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there again, we uh, we became not 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 at that point. Our, our father became very progressive. He was a Church of God National Evangelist, and then uh, pastored their biggest church in the Northwest sector, and then they booted him out from he was too controversial. Yeah. And as we grew up, uh, he 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 got more and more progressive, and we realized there was a lot more to uh, serving God than worrying about what you said. And that it really wasn't so much about what you did as who you were. And how you feel. Right. And uh, so, I mean, uh, that wasn't me. I mean, you know, that just, that that wasn't me to talk like that. Mm -hmm. But for Sam, that was him. That was his personality. And uh, that's how that's how it came about. But, you know, I mean, my mother was real offended until he brought <laughs> bought her new Mercedes, and then all of a sudden he helps people. Yep, yep. That's how it always works. So, oh yeah. So, uh, for anyone who goes to my church, who may catch one of my stand-up clips on YouTube, and they find something objectionable, how should I react to that? Well, I, I my, my the way I act is indifferent. I mean, uh, we're not supposed to judge anybody. Mm-hmm of anything no. I mean uh, you know they tried to get Jesus they tried to set him up to uh, judge people and he would always say that I you know I judge no man I leave that to the father well the father said I, when Jesus died he said he took his sins and cast them into or took our sins and cast them into a sea of forgetfulness never to be remembered again now that wasn't the sins that had already been committed or the sins you were committing, that was also the sins you were going to commit. Right. I've never, I've never liked the sinner's prayer, to be very honest with you. And the reason was is, you're coming down to give your life to God, and the first thing they want you to do is tell him how bad you are. Well, he knows. That That's working on you. That's on your own self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I essentially, uh, when I was in the ministry and we built, I built, uh, we ran crusades. I, I preached crusades in some of the same venues that Sam later on came and did shows in. I pastored seven large churches. And uh, I never made an altar call. And, you know, and I'd have preachers going, well, don't you care if people are going to hell? No, that's not it. What it is is there is a time appointed of the Father for every man. And from what I understand, from what you just told me, you found your time appointed of the Father. Yes, sir. Now, I grew up in a church that you got saved every Sunday night if you needed it or not. That was the church of God. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't come down and get saved, everybody knew you were supposed to come down and get saved. But there was a time when I was 19 years old 
that uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you what it was on New Year's Eve, and, and I really had tried to do well. I mean, I, I went down the altar again. I'm trying to live the good life and not cuss and smoke and drink and all the things we considered sin. And uh, the next morning, I've got this, I'm living in this dump, and I wake up, and, man, I've got a hangover like you can't believe. And my first thoughts is, well, you blew it. You know, if he comes right now, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. And the presence of God surrounded me. And I don't, I don't, you ordinarily get very spiritual on these programs, but the spirit, the spirit of God surrounded me. And he let me know that I was his son and that I would change as I realized his love. Mm-hmm just like a child grows up, I would grow up. And that was my time appointed of the Father. Forget about all the thousands of other times I went down there. That did nothing but cause anxiety in me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was afraid he's going to come. And I mean, I, I, as a kid, I was afraid to take a shower because I was afraid Jesus was going to come and I'm going to go up and start naked. I was telling my producer here earlier, the, the way I first... Uh... Uh, learn, and it's funny how uh, 15 minutes turns into half an hour, but I'm loving this conversation. Don't worry, I got a clock out at 11 because another show comes on. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm loving this. But I was telling my producer last hour that I was seven years old when uh, some, as I said, some uh, missionaries came to the door that people traditionally don't answer the door for. They came and went. My brother was polite <laughs> to them. But uh, I asked him what that was about, and he said, well, that's what they believe. And I asked him, well, what do we believe? And he says, oh, and keep in mind, I'm seven. This is like 1986 or 87. And uh, my brother explains to me, he's 16 years old, but he says, oh, well, in a few years, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to kill all the sinners, and he's going to take all the believers with him, and (laughs) it's going to be total wasteland on earth. And if you're not saved, it's over. And, uh, hey, I'm going to go drive my car now. See ya. And now if you want to talk about anxiety and waiting for it to happen, (laughs) literally from age seven to 13, I was the the sky is going to rip open any time. And Jesus is is coming back. And and it it became a thing where I didn't want to go to church anymore. It became a thing of what you're talking about with religion and the organized aspects of it. And my whole 20 plus year journey of finally realizing there's a difference in I was too young to make the distinction between religion and faith but you had yep. a I think you had a sermon on your gospel according to Kennison that I caught recently about the difference between religion and faith yeah well I think uh, you know on our on our program and really I had opened a church in we owned a theater in Upland and um uh, our very first service, we had 173 people, so that tells you how well we were doing, and we were there for a year. And then I was just like, man, I can't keep doing this. And and actually, the reason I even got, I even started teaching again is, as I told you, and I'm not trying to drop names, but I did Robin Williams' eulogy. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a friend that was also the son of a Baptist preacher, a comedian named August Hamilton. Right. And we're still very good friends. And so he came to me uh, when the program was over. I mean, when the service was over and he came to me, and said, Bill, you're supposed to be back in the ministry. And so I was like, well, August, you know, let's take a break on that. I haven't done that in years. Well, then a lady uh, named Lemaire, who I'd never met 
came up and told me the same thing. And then I had several others. Well, I, we had a church that rented our theater on Sunday morning, and I told Sherry, I said, you know what, if they ever leave, I, I think I would consider starting a church. And so, well, sure enough, they decided to move to a, another place. And so I said, all right, well, we'll start a church. And like I said, we started great. We just kept growing. And then, uh, but a year later, when you're running a theater and you've got to play on Thursday night or you've got a concert, I mean, on Saturday night or you've got a concert on Saturday night, we have to break down the set, set up for the service the next morning. Then we do that service. Now we've got to take that back down, put the set back up for a two o'clock show. And it was just too much. And so I thought, well, okay, you know, I, I did my duty. And uh, so to pacify all the folks, I thought, I'll do a 30-minute program. And I think it's very aptly called the gospel according to Kennison because preachers won't admit it, but every one of us preach the gospel according to us. Yes. According to our interpretation. I just decided to be open about it. And uh, so I thought it'll peter out. And, uh, you know, and everybody goes back to their life and live happily ever after. Well, with the other direction, now we run over 3,000 people that watch it on Sunday morning and through the week on YouTube. And uh, the amazing thing about it is probably the smallest group or percentage of people that watch it are Pentecostal people. We have Buddhists. We have atheists. Now, these are people that, that write and send me messages. Mm -hmm. We have uh, a large percentage of our audience is Jewish. We have Muslims. I mean, we represent, we also have viewers from around the country, India, Pakistan, Africa, England. I mean, I can, I can go on and on. And I think the reason is, is that uh, this morning in our our lesson, we only do a 30-minute lesson, but in our, our lesson this morning, I was talking about self-awareness. That what this is, is self-help psychology. I believe that God lives in every man. Mm -hmm. Every man. I don't care what ritual you go through. God lives in you. It's whether or not that you... You accept and understand that God is in you. I don't want to serve a God that's off in the sky somewhere that comes and goes. Sends his son and he comes, and then he goes. I want a God that I can call on any time. And, and what I call it is you can't lose with the God in you. That's where... The God is, but we don't recognize that. We don't give attention to that. Mm -hmm. Yet if we did, we'd be successful. We'd be prosperous. We'd be healthy. And I know from my own life, I know for Sam's life, Sam believed the same principles that I do. And that's that's what we teach on you know on our on our program. That's 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 exactly what we teach. And it's not a big production. It's literally in my office and uh, we do it on facebook and then transfer it to youtube and, and that's available uh 
every uh, every Sunday on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Mr. Kinnison, uh, if you can believe it, it's already almost been an hour. <laughs> as much as I hate to cut it short, um, I'd be glad to have you back on the program any time at all if you're game for it. But um, it, like I said, it, I, I'm honored that I got a couple of chuckles out of you. I wasn't really trying to. Uh, but I, uh, I I can't express enough how how much this means to me to, to have you on. And uh, I was 13 when uh, Sam left us, and that was right when I started getting into stand-up comedy. And it, it affected me as a fan, and I've missed him as a fan. We will never be able to miss him in a way that a brother or family does, but uh, just know that uh, he touched a lot of, lot of people out there, myself included. And I appreciate your time, and you are welcome to come back on here anytime, sir. Well, Richard, I, I appreciate you having me on. I love the uh, questions that you ask me because that's what I, normally not what I get. I can usually sleepwalk through <laughs> uh, most interviews. Yeah. And uh, and anytime you want me on, you just let me know. I'll be glad to do it. All right, we'll do it again. I got to squeeze in some commercials here, but uh, thank you so much for talking to me. It's the and uh, I'm going to abruptly hang up on you, but I'm saying goodbye here. So uh, I appreciate it, but thanks for being on with me. It's uh, Bill Kennison, The Gospel According to Kennison on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday, and we will be right back. All right, well, you know, from that music, that means it's the end of the show. I didn't squeeze in everything that I wanted to get to, but, um, well, I think uh, I think I got time to, to leave on this. This is uh, from Bill's little brother, Sam. Uh, this was the Jesus was never married bit, and we'll see you next week right here on the Richard Kaysen Radio Network. I'm reading this, and it's, it's an exciting story, but I read it, and I thought, I know Jesus was never married. Guy never had a wife, no man was never married because no wife would buy this story in a hundred years the disciples will the believers will no wife would buy this story good luck good luck with this story first of all he leaves on friday afternoon with 12 other guys <laughs> he's gone <laughs> he's gone for three days no message no way to get in touch with her he comes home Monday afternoon looking like he hasn't slept. He... Seems like he's partied out, man. And Mrs. Jesus is just waiting, going, oh, okay, I got this day three of this. <laughs> well, I'm glad you can find your way home, Savior. Where's your 12 friends who won't get a job? How are they? Yeah, the cyber.